All right, let's get going over here. Parshas B'Shalach. All right, this week's Parsha is also called Shabashira, okay? Because this is the song that we sing after crossing through the Yamsuf and, and uh, Bez Hashem, God willing, we'll be able to give some context to the very first song that we uh, sang nationally, our uh, national anthem at the time. Um, you know, sometimes national anthems are pride of the country, and this national anthem is pride of being a Yid and a member of Klal Yisrael in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So our Parsha begins, Parakid Gimel, Pasuk Zion, chapter 13, verse 17, B'Shalach Paro And it was, this always, I've seen answers, I still haven't come across something that makes me so comfortable, so if anybody comes across, please let me know. It was when Paro sent the people out of Mitzrayim. I just, that expression bothers me. You know, you understand why? When God took us out of Egypt, right? When Paro sent the people out of Mitzrayim. Interesting. Interesting expression. I've seen some Tirutzim. I haven't seen anything I'm so comfortable with yet. So I'm sure there's a greater message to learn as there always is from Torah. So it was when Paro sent out the people. V'lo nocham elokim derech eretz pushtim. And God was not nocham. Interesting expression. The word nocham here means leading. God did not lead us. Interestingly, like the root of the word nocham Menachem is nechama, it's a, it's a comfort, but uh, the word nachem here means to lead. Uh, and the Torah is letting us know that Hashem did not lead us the way of the plishtim. Why not? So Rashi tells us because that was the easy way. That was the easy way. The easy way for what? The easy way to go back to Mitzrayim. Hashem wanted to take us that as soon as we left Egypt, it was immediately going to become difficult to go back. Otherwise, we may have. That needs to be understood. Okay, so Hashem did not lead us there to the why Kikaravu, because it was close. And again, Rashi says, "What is close? The route back to Egypt was too was too simple." And what the uh, psychologically, this is a this is a uh, is a fact. I'm sure each of us have been through this. I've certainly been in this, and that is, you know, you could say, "Why would you go back to Egypt? You were just abused." The answer is. And anybody who's been through whether a more severe or a less severe trauma is the the fear of the unknown at times. Sometimes you'll just live with what you've been through. It's an unfortunate reality that some people just don't move on from. Um, and it's, it's, under, it's the reality. And again, all good psychology comes from Torah. This is an area of Torah that is letting us know this is human, this is human nature. This is how our minds work. A person, you see like, hello, you, you know what you're going through? Why would you do that again? Why, why are you sticking with that? Why are you allowing this to fester and continue? Hashem understands the human nature of this and that we would, despite the abuse that the Egyptians put us through, if we start hitting hardships in another area, which there's going to be as we get out to the desert, there's going to be a nice percentage of us that says, you know, let's just go back to Egypt. And to add to that idea, the reason why it's going to be easier to go back to Egypt is because after we cross the Yamsuf, which we're going to do in this week's Parsha, the Mitzim are all dead. Right? Paro ran after us with most of our abusers. And they're gone now. So we encounter difficulties, we encounter issues. People may say, you know, let's go back to Egypt. And the thought process would be, number one, it's hard to move on from, from a situation that we've grown used to. And number two is, you know, we could even justify it by saying things have changed. Things have changed. The people who were there prior 
aren't going to be there. And this also is a fascinating and true psychology in that very often a victim of something will will convince ourselves, hopefully we're on the victim end because again, there's nothing wrong with being a victim, there's nothing wrong with being a, a bully, right? But it's always, the Rebbein Shalom always prefers that we're, we're the nirdaf, as a, you know, at least that doesn't show anything about us as a person when other people are picking on us, but it shows who we are when we're chas v'shalom on the, on the other end of things. But um, it shows as well that um, people sometimes will remain in a situation because we think that the, call it the bully in uh, generalization terms, will change. So things changed, right? The things changed. The mitzvah aren't there anymore. The circumstances changed. And now uh, there's like a new hope. And it's a, but isn't it a gift that Hashem gives us hope? It's, a, it's the greatest gift. Mamish. It's such a, such a bracha. You can have everything falling apart. But like, you know, th- there's always the hope that things will change. You have to, and this is, this is a gift Hashem gave us. At the same time, it's, a, it's something that needs to be dealt in a smart fashion. And here the Torah is letting us know that the Torah understands this reality. Because Baruch knows this is how we're created as, as people. And therefore, Hashem purposely did not lead us the way the Plushim so that no matter where we're going to go, it's not worth it. It's not, it's not going to be worth to go back. He loves us so much, He's like forcing us into this relationship, so to speak. Not by forcing our hand, into the but kind of making it difficult to, to have an alternative. That's how badly, so to speak, Hashem wants this relationship. Yeah? yeah I can get, I understand about what the Mitzrayim, but the land was destroyed, even practically. The good, good. Rabbi Tamarquitz is bringing out that that the, not only not only are we dealing with the people gone right, so now the nation has been kind of the the country's been decimated, and now in order for them to go back, they're going to have to start from scratch. And still, Hakadosh Baruch Hu took us the way of the Plishtim. This is how hard changes. It's a it's a very hard it's a very hard reality for a person to go through. We have to know this both for ourselves, be aware of this reality, and know this for others. Sometimes we get frustrated with other. Why don't you just do something? Like change. It's like take a step back. Like this is we understand this in the third. And it says, yeah. And also the people who did stay died. So obviously there was something not good right. in being there in the first place. Like I was something not good, go, right? Yeah. And the, in other words, these yeah. we're adding to this that the people here had the amuna to leave. Right. They're the ones who wanted to leave, and and still I could borrow who's. You know, understands this reality. I think. I think it adds a very important detail over here. Okay, beautiful. So, because Hashem says, it's not like the penny knock him on. Maybe they're going to reconsider. When they encounter war, they're going to encounter battles. Going to be nations along the way. And they might want to go back to Mitzrayim. And Hashem says, "I love these people too deeply to allow that to happen. I can't. I can't. I can't allow that." Okay. So Hashem took us the roundabout way. He took us derech hamidbar yamsuf to the way of the yamsuf vachamushim alu, and the bnei yisrael went up vachamushim. Vachamushim, the word chamish, interestingly means a fifth, and it also can mean armed. Now the word armed comes from the word arm. Okay, when somebody's armed, that means you have weapons. Okay, it comes from because the the, the greatest weapon that we have is our arms, and at the end of our arms are five fingers. So interestingly, Bachamushim represents the arms. This is just getting a little bit into the Hebrew language. Why the five is connected to to armed. went out armed from the land of Mitzrayim. Now, this is a very important detail. 
that Klai Yisrael went out, went armed for Mitzrayim. And I'll tell you why, because as we as we continue on in the parsha uh, with uh, with Hashem's help, we're going to come to the Yamsuf soon. Okay, they're going to be seven days after leaving Egypt. We we'll come to the Yamsuf. And at the Yamsuf, we're going to have the water in front of us. We're stuck. We're going to have the Egyptians on, behind us. We're stuck. We're going to have the angel of Esav uh, above us. We can't even tap into the heebie-jeebie to start flying away, right? Or in the, and we have the snakes and scorpions of the desert alongside us. We are stuck. And we don't know what to do. So what happens? We cry out to Hashem. And, Hashem's, and then we'll get into Hashem. What happened by the Yamsuf? We, we know. We walked into the Yamsuf. We'll get into the conversation that happened there. Um, the question is, the verse here says, We went out armed beyond belief. I mean, God's testifying we had weapons. Isn't it interesting that we don't, we don't find like even a conversation about why didn't B'nai Saul just fight? Why don't we just fight? Yom Kippur War. Interesting. You don't hear this too much, right? Like, we were armed. This is an important word. The Torah is letting us know we were armed. And when we end up with Amalek, where do all those weapons come from? We actually fought. Over here, it's like we have all the arms. We don't even try to fight. We'll get there. I think it's a fascinating... Uh, it's a facet, it, What's so fascinating is you don't hear people talking about this. But it's such an important... It's a straight out word. It's, a, it's like blatant. The Jews were not armed. And nobody talks about like what happened. Why didn't we just fight? So we'll touch on this as well. Yeah. Does it mean armed something Good. Does it mean armed with armor or armed with something else? So it means armed with armor. Okay. There is an opinion. We focused on this in previous years. Uh, I don't know in this setting specifically, but uh, perhaps in uh, Shabbos morning Parsha class. There are opinions that say that we went out. Um, we went out armed. I don't think it's in Rashi here. I don't see it in Rashi. Either. It's one of the main main commentators explaining we were armed with with Meisim Tovim. We were armed with good deeds. Now the reason why this is stunning is because it fits very well with. It's actually not a challenge. It fits very well with the, every other opinion. Because one one opinion was Vachamushim, we a fifth went out. Another opinion was we were armed. Another opinion is you could say the means that we were armed with mitzvahs. How is this possible? So this is beautiful because we know in Mitzrayim, four-fifths of Klai Yisrael passed away during the plague of darkness, which means 80% of the Jewish children were orphans. Okay? So the um, according to the opinion that says the means armed, what it means is we were armed with the chesed that we were doing for all of the orphans that were there because only a fifth went out. So the word v'chamushim actually can mean all three, which is fantastic because it's an interesting word to use for armed. Even though we, we explained why it could mean armed, there's other words in the Hebrew language that could be used. If you're talking about weapons itself, mizuyan also is an expression of uh, being full with weapons. This word is a greater word. It's a stronger word because it can really hint to all three, uh, all three pshatim. Yeah. Didn't we also, as you said last week, feed the um, Egyptians when they were in the state of darkness? For three, the three so days they couldn't move. And so that was another thing that of my uh-huh. Yeah, another area of my So we went out with a lot of armed with on 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 all levels. We're armed on all levels. That's the chamushim, the uh, chamushim Yeah, go. Ahead. 
affected by the the plagues. You know, the Jewish people. I'm, I'm sorry about my ignorance. Yeah. You know, I didn't. So the Jewish people also were affected by the plagues uh, in Egypt. The Jewish people were impacted. They weren't hurt by the plagues. You talking about what? Uh, what well, Linda's bringing up. But you mentioned oh. that some that of them died. You know, and they. Oh yeah, died, yeah. Right? So so I didn't know that. You know, we were also uh, the victims. You know. Yeah. So we weren't victims of the plague. What happened was, is that the plague of Choshech was six days long, as opposed to some of the other plagues that were seven days, according to the Medrash. The last day was safe for the Yamsuf, actually, to bring darkness upon the Egyptians at the Yamsuf. But those six days were divided, three days of regular darkness and three days of thick darkness, where the Egyptians couldn't even move. Rashi tells us that during the first three days of darkness, the purpose was that the Egyptians shouldn't see the Jews dying because there were Jews who didn't merit the Geula. They didn't have that merit. And Hashem didn't want the Mitzrim to be able to see that. There was a Chil Hashem for them to see it actively with their eyes. And therefore, it's not that the plague of Choshech hurt the Jews. It was that Hashem chose that time that the Jews who did not have the Zchut to leave, they died when the Mitzrim couldn't see. And what Linda's bringing up is that we mentioned a medrash that says that during the three days that they couldn't move because it was a heavy darkness, the Jews fed them. The Jews would feed them. We can't control ourselves from, uh, from being nice. We can't control ourselves. But, uh, so it's not that, so it's important that, that we're mentioning this. What was your first name? Marcella. Marcella. So Marcella's bringing up that, you know, it's important to note, it's not that Choshech impacted the Jews. It's, they weren't, we weren't hurt by the Makkah. We weren't hurt by the, by the plague. It was just that during that plague, Hashem used that time frame when the Egyptians couldn't see us, that those who, who, who uh, didn't have the merit to leave, they, they passed away during that time. Okay? Some people chose not to leave also? Yeah, they didn't have the Amunah. They, the, they didn't believe they're going to leave and they didn't want to leave. And, and, um, and uh, uh, they, uh, they didn't make it out. They didn't make it out. Well, we'll talk about this because it was, it was almost, it was like a Holocaust. The amount of Jews that died. Tremendous amount of Jews died. According to the simple opinion, we discussed our Shimon Schwab has a different approach. But according to the regular approach, there, um, there were a lot, of, uh, a lot of Jews that passed away. And Bez Hashem will focus on the, uh, it's very important to understand that setting. That we're having the Geula. And like right before the Geula, the, the, and even within it, we, we're not just experiencing the trauma of redemption. That came while we're in Avelos. It came while the Jewish people were in Avelos over those who were lost. Wow, yeah, go ahead. So we're, we're, sta- we're standing at, at the Yamsuf. Before we talk about going into the Yamsuf itself, I just want to mention um, an interesting, the, the next Pasuk, there's an interesting idea here. It says, it's telling us that we're coming to the Yamsuf. God took us that way and we're armed. And then the, the Torah tells something interesting. It says, it goes back to Egypt. And it says, Vayikach Moshe es atzmos Yosef imo. Moshe had been traveling with the bones of Yosef. He took the bones of Yosef with him. Ki Because the entire Jewish nation had, been, had sworn, everybody had sworn, I guess by our fathers and grandfathers, Yosef had the tribes and everybody was around, swear that they're going to take, when we leave Egypt, we're going to take them with us. Hashem is surely going to remember you and take you out of Egypt. When you go, 
I want you to take it with me. And then we go back to like, okay, we're, we're back to the desert setting. But like within that whole back and forth, it says, Moshe took Atzmos Yosef, Yosef's bones with him. Okay. Number one, the terrorists let it, why are you kicking this in over here? Like what, what's, it's a little bit out of place. It seems, so number one is that the sages teach us that Chacham Lev Yikach Mitzvos. That a person who's a Chacham Lev, who's wise at heart, when leaving Egypt, everybody else took the valuables, and Moshe took this mitzvah. The mitzvah of following through on the promise, because everybody really had the obligation. But you see, Moshe took mitzvahs. Now, there's a lot of Torah on this, a lot to talk about. First of all, it's a plural. Mitzvos. Mitzvot. It's plural. Yeah, Moshe did one mitzvah. So what does it mean? How do you know a smart person choose multiple mitzvahs? So first of all, we have, I'm just going to say this quick, so if you understand where we're at, that's fine. Um, otherwise, we could explain where afterwards, but the whole mitzvah of Pesach Sheni came about through other people who became impure through carrying the bones of Yosef. They wanted to bring the carbon Pesach. They weren't able to. They didn't want to do it. I thought Moshe was carrying the bones. Why are they carrying the bones? You see, from here, when you start a mitzvah, everybody else gets involved in the mitzvah. And not only that, from the bones of Yosef came about the mitzvah of Pesach Sheni. Because if Moshe wouldn't have been carrying the bones, nobody would have been impure, and we wouldn't have uh, had daven to Hashem to have an opportunity to have a Pesach Sheni. So you see that a Chacham Lev starts doing a mitzvah, and what happens? You want mitzvah, becomes mitzvot. That's what happens. That's, that's the way it is. Okay, so there's a lot of, that, that's, that's one element. Um, another question on this is, why are you saying that Moshe did a, a mitzvah? By taking the bones of Yosef? We all did mitzvahs. You know why? God told us when we left Egypt to... Take the gold and silver. Because he promised that to Avram. Hashem promised it. So that's also a mitzvah. So everybody did a mitzvah. So why are we promoting Moshe for taking out the bones of Yosef at, when he's leaving Egypt and he's busy with that while everybody else is busy gathering the gold, silver, and diamonds? He, he's the one doing mitzvahs. Everybody's a mitzvah. So again, the Bali Musi here explain. you're right. But when you have different types of mitzvahs in front of you, there's mitzvahs and there's mitzvahs. Which means that not to minimize a mitzvah that I have a physical gain from, but you could see by which mitzvahs that people choose whether they have their own gain, physical gain involved in it, or whether it's something that this is what the Rebbein Shalom wants. This is what the Rebbein Shalom wants. As my father, Zerchanah Rachel, would say, that you know the, the Gemara tells us if a person wants to be wealthy, they should tilt their body. You know, we dive in towards Yerushalayim, but we should tilt their body a little bit towards the north, where the Shulchan stood, the northern side of the of the Kodesh. And if you want uh, Torah, you should tilt your body towards where the menorah was, towards the south. Harotza lahachim yadrin. You want to become a chacham, you face towards the south. And my father would ask, "What if you want to be? What if you want to be both rich and knowledgeable? I want to be a Tamar chacham who's rich." Right? So then what do you do? So a yeshivish person will say, you shuckle back and forth. That's, your, that's a, a good answer. Right? That's, that's it. But, uh, but the, the message my father the message my father would give is, you could be rich, you could have Torah, you could have everything in this world. However, you need to have one priority. You can't have your head everywhere. And that's the message of the Gemara. You have to have one rutzon. What's my goal in life? And just because you have a rutzon, just because you have a goal, doesn't mean you have to lose down anything else. But ultimately, where am I at? What am I shooting for? Where, where's, what do I want? And the Gemara is letting us know, you can have a lot, but you got to choose ultimately where, where you're headed. Along that way, you can pick up a lot of things. There's a lot of things. And, and, uh, and Baruch Hashem, people could be Zoha, you know, people could merit uh, multiple Shulchanos 
and have many, many different gifts and many blessings and things that come in their life. But you need to have your head set in, uh, in one place. So that's what is teaching us. Chacham Lev Yikach Mitzvah. Moshe Rabbeinu, who was a Chacham Lev, knew what type of mitzvah to choose. He was busy with the bones of Yosef while everybody else was busy with, yes, it was a mitzvah, but it was a different, a different style of mitzvah. Now, I want to focus on one word specifically that's going to take us into such a beautiful message. There's something so deep in this Pasuk of Moshe taking the bones, and the word is Emo. Moshe took the bones of Yosef, Emo, which means with him. Ayin Memvav. Emo. There's another word in the Hebrew language which means with him. It's Ito. Or in feminine, it'll be Ita. Right? So Ito or Ita. Okay? Now, when do we know whether to use the word Emo? We'll use the male, the expression of the Pasuk, or Ito. They both mean with him. So listen to this. In Parshas Lech Lecha, so the Torah tells us that Avram traveled with Lot, his nephew. Okay? He traveled with Lot. And it says, Vayelech Ito Lot. Lot traveled with him. Okay. Why by Lot does it say, Vayelech Ito? And over here, by Moshe and taking the bones of Yosef, it says, he took, Moshe took the Atzmos Yosef Imo. What's the difference in these words? So the Vomagon, the Gra, explains as follows. He says, when you have two people, two entities, walking together for the same purpose, going somewhere for the same purpose, the Torah is going to use the word Imo. Imo means we are completely on, we're not just together, we have the same goal as well. We're in this both physically and emotionally. We're in this. That's Imo. Now this has to be explained because, that I means it's Yosef's bones. Right? So, nothing happening here. Okay? So, but Imo means together. If two people are together in two different goals, then it's going to say Ito. Avram and Lot walked together, but Lot had his eyes on inheriting Avram and getting all the land, and that's why he wouldn't muzzle his animals, I'm going to get it anyway. Yeah, he had, his own, he had his own vision of what the goal is over here, and Avram's goal was Kvot Shemayim. That's my goal. And yeah, that, that was his thing. So by Avram, by Lot and Avram, it says Ito. Yeah, they were together, but they, they weren't together really. Okay. When Moshe takes the bone of Yo, the bones of Yosef with him, the question should be, why doesn't it say Ito? It's he took it with him, but they're not going together for the same purpose. So here we go. So the answer is as follows. This is from the Maral Diskin. The Maral Diskin says that. Why is it unique to write the bones of Yosef? We should write the body of Yosef. Yeah, why, why the bones? So, okay, we know the flesh disintegrates faster than the bones, but it's still an interesting expression. Interesting expression to write the bones. Maral Diskin writes that there's a Gemara in Shabbos which teaches us that if a person lives their life in jealousy, their bones rot. Their bones rot in the grave. A person who lives a life of jealousy, their bones rot in the grave. Okay, a person who has no jealousy in their heart, their bones aren't going to rot, says the Gemara. So Yosef, listen to Maral Diskin says, this is so, this is incredible. Ah, talk, about, talk about messages over here. Here we go. Says the Maral Diskin, Yosef is telling Klal Yisrael, he used this expression as well, please bring my bones with you. 
Why is he saying that? Because he's letting the Bnei Yisrael know, listen closely, this is incredible, that I'm going to die, I'm dying now, and my bones will not rot, and that is going to be a proof that I have no hard feelings, jealousy, anger to any of you, the rest of Klal Yisrael, who turned on me in my lifetime. I'm completely Michael to a point where you're going to see my bones will not rot. It does not, it did not impact me at all. Everything was God's plan. I have zero hard feelings against anybody. He himself used this expression of bones. And therefore he shows, he's using this expression to show that he, how confident he is, his bones aren't going to rot. And therefore we took his bones. It wasn't just his physical bones. We're taking the message of Yosef that a person could go through life, experience hardships, and still see the Yad Hashem, see Hashem's hand in everything, to a point where I remove jealousy from my heart. I remove uh, feelings of animosity, and I don't want you to have more than me, and things of that sort, from my heart completely. Says Meral Diskin, Moshe Rabbeinu, who had gone through so much in Mitzrayim from Kal Yisrael, he came to us, and he tried giving us signs that God has given him, and we said, get out of here, what are you talking about, you don't have a proof, for you this, and we wouldn't listen, and until ultimately, you're driving us crazy. We're trying to, you know. And he went through a lot in Mitzrayim. The Torah tells us that he took the bones of Yosef, Imo, which means on the same path that Yosef traveled to this Shlemus, to this completion in his Midos, Moshe Rabbeinu took that message of Yosef, the Atzmos Yosef, and he personalized it. They actually went together, meaning on their path of life. When Moshe went out of Egypt, don't just say, oh, Moshe's carrying Yosef's bones. Imo. Moshe was living a life that Yosef lived. The midot, the character trait that Yosef lived, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu internalized. He made himself great with the message of Yosef's bones. Now, here's where I want to go with this. Sometimes we go through things. And we have to know what we can handle. There's no question about it. It's going back a little bit to the beginning of the Parsha and things that we deal with, uh, you know, things that we go through through the hands of others. Sometimes we go through something and as a coping mechanism, we need to, we need to just move on. We need to forget it and start fresh and things of that sort. Sometimes that's, that's how it works. The greatest way to handle, whenever we're able to get to this point, but the, 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 our goal should try to be. And this is not coming from me. I, I wouldn't have the chutzpah to get here. Or, or, it's coming from things that I've learned from my Rebbein, things that we should work on in a message of the Torah. This is the imo, to walk together with, with uh, Yosef's greatness. When we personally experience something or we're ever involved in something, we can use that. And halavai, if we could, as a springboard to greatness in that area. On a simple level, for example, you have people who don't have good experience with their teachers in school. So one way is, okay, so this whole thing is stupid, throw it under the bus, and uh, and you know what? That is totally fine, understandable. A person who understands greatness will at a certain point in their life, when they're ready, will say, therefore, I am committed to being the best teacher that ever existed on planet Earth. I will make sure this never happens to another person in school. I'll make sure another kid never suffers through the hand of a dumb, idiotic statement 
that, a, that a, an educator who they previously looked up to said, I'm going to take that situation, I'm going to take this experience and I'm going to make myself greater. Moshe went through an experience in Mitzrayim. He was, he was trying to lead us out. And even in Egypt, he's going to go through stuff in the Midbar too. But he's already here. He's already at this Madriga and he's going to have to, Moshe, I'm not judging. Who am I to go into Moshe Rabbeinu's head? I'm not. But the Torah is letting us know, says Maral Diskin, in this step, he's at a place where he experienced something and he took that experience and he raised himself, he took the message of Yosef and raised himself to a place where his bones also are not going to rot. Meaning, I have no hard feelings against anybody who spoke negatively about me in Mitzrayim. I'm not only leading... You, you say, okay, so you're not in my yeshiva, you're not in my shul, you're not in my community, you're not in this. You know, I'll deal with the people who I have. You don't like me, so you go jump in the lake. I don't care about you either, so to speak. But Moshe Rabbeinu is emo. He, he's like Yosef. He says, a yid is a yid is a yid is a yid. God made me the leader of all of Klal Yisrael. And that's it. That's my role. That's my role. He took a situation and he used it as a springboard for greatness. There are people, and this is also, we know this, I'm sure, each of us know this for ourselves. You've been, when we go through a situation, a matzav, we have a greater understanding of what people really experience and it allows us to tap into that and become great in that area whether it's a it's a listening ear whether it's a little bit of advice whether it's a, a little bit of sympathy or empathy when you experience something you have a greater uh, you have, you have, we have a much stronger ability to uh, to connect with it and therefore um like we spoke out previously right in previous partios uh we said that the, the new king came up on egypt it was so there's an opinion he wasn't really a new power, he had new decrees. So he says, well, so what does it mean? Yosef. He didn't know Yosef. If he just changed his decrees, and it's the same Pharaoh, so he knew Yosef. What do you mean? Yosef. He certainly did know. And the Bali Musa, the Musa leaders explained, those who teach us how to think, that it means that he knew Yosef existed, but he, they worked together for 80 years, and he didn't take any of Yosef's greatness with him. So he didn't, he didn't know Yosef. You could work with somebody for years and years, and Yosef lived a beautiful life of a tzaddik, and he he stuck through things thick, sick and uh, through thick and thin. And Pyro, a little bit of pressure from his people: you're not going to be king if you don't enslave the Jews. So he wimps out and he gives in, he caves in. So he doesn't know Yosef. So you could be in a situation, and you could you could just start living that, or you could take a, a reality, and and you could you could know it. You use that as a as a springboard for for greatness. I want to learn together. I'm going to read this inside. We'll see how I want to get on a few other things, but as every parsha, who knows, uh, who knows where we're going to go. This is the Rambam, the Laws of Judges, chapter 25. Listen to this. Listen to this. Also, Ledayan, it is forbidden for a judge. All right? Now we're going to translate for our terms a judge, meaning a true leader, a leader, somebody who's supposed to be in a place of leadership. It's forbidden for a person in leadership, linhog shirara ala tzibur, to be dominant on a, on a tzibur, on a congregation. If you're a leader in a congregation, it is usher, said the Rambam, my mom is, it's forbidden to create fear. It's forbidden to create fear in your congregation. You listen to me or else. Ubegasa saruach, it's forbidden to be arrogant. If you're a Dayan, and we're talking about a judge, I mean, you got a court. You got to be like the big, you don't talk to me like that in my court, right? Your honor, your majesty, yeah, right? So it says, a Dayan has to be Nohug, has to 
accustom themselves. Ella ba'anavavira. There has to be humility and fear. There has to be fear, awe, and fear of your position. V'chol parnas and any leader, hamatel ema yaser al who places excessive fear on their tzibor, shalom l'shem shamayim, and has nothing to do with God, has to do with you, nenash, you're going to be punished. V'eno nira ben tamidacham, if you have children, they're not going to be Torah scholars. Shenemar l'chein yireu anoshim l'yira kochach meilit. V'chein and the Rambam continues halacha too. Asher lo linog behem kalas rosh. If you're a dying, you also can't be frivolous with people. Also, don't lower yourself too much. Don't lower yourself too much. If you're a, a dying, don't, uh, there are certain places you don't belong and certain conversations that you, you don't belong into. The same way you can't be like more religious and more, you know, uh, you know uh, I'm going to out-holy you more than anybody else. <laughs> you, you can't have Kalas Rosh. You can't have Kalas Rosh. You can't be, I'll be yeah, even though you say the people, they don't know too much. No, they're standards you have to live by. Standards, you can't be like, you can't do like everybody else. And don't step on people's heads. Don't step on, don't step on people's heads. Because even though you might say, yeah, they're ignorant anyway. What do they know? They're not so with this, not so that. They, 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 they dress like this. They act like this. They believe in this. They're the children of Avram, Yisrael, and Yaakov, every Jew is a soldier in the army of God. Some must be in the secret service, so they don't know. <laughs> in the secret service. No, a joke. Rabbi says to a person, he says, uh, you know, I don't see you in shul. The guy's like, yeah. He says, come on, you got to join uh, God's army. He says, uh, secret service. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm a show. He says, stop putting people down. Stop stepping on people's heads. Stop lording over people. Okay? This is the Rambam. He says, it's, he doesn't say it's like, oh, they have good midos. He says, it's usher, and you're going to be punished. It's forbidden, you're going to be punished. You have to carry people the same way a parent uh, takes care of their, of, of their uh, young ones. And we should learn this out. I skipped the line, but this is the point I want to get to. Come learn from Maisha Rabbein. We're still in the middle of Halacha Beis, Halacha 2. Rabban Shokola Navim, who was the greatest Navi, the greatest prophet of all time. In two parshios ago, Parshas Vaira, when Hashem comes to Moshe, and he says to Moshe and Aaron, I'm commanding you about B'nai Yisrael. And this is when he's telling me to go to Paro. But I'm commanding you. What does it mean about B'nai? I'm commanding you. I'm putting you into a position of leadership. About B'nai Yisrael. Kabbalah. We have passed down from, from Moshe Rabbeinu at Arsinai. Hashem says, You should know what a leader is. You know what a leader is? You're going to be cursed. And they're going to stone you. But it doesn't matter. You're going to be cursed. You're going to stone you. Stop stepping on people's heads. Doesn't matter. If you're in a position, that's what you ask for. Now zip it. Stop complaining. And this is what Hashem instructs. Maishanan. He's telling them. And the, in other words, the Ramam's telling us. Um, we can go. <laughs> we can go a little vital. But this is the main idea I wanted to say from over here. Is that Maishanan took a situation from their position. And some people will take it and be like. Okay, so now I have responsibilities, and I'm a you know, and I've I've got to I got to be telling everybody this, and you put you here and put you there, and Hashem's telling 
Maisha and Aaron telling us, and all of us through the Torah, that anytime you want to have an impact on somebody else, it's only going to happen when you impact yourself. If, if you yourself aren't impacted and you yourself are not, it, it's, not it, it's who you are more than the position that you're in. And this is what epitomized Maisha Rabbeinu. When the Torah says with a simple word by, um, that Maisha Rabbeinu, Vayikach Maisha es atzmos Yosef Imo. Moshevino took the bones of Yosef Imo. What does it mean? What does that mean? He raised himself up to a situation that he was in, and it wasn't easy to be a leader of Klal Yisrael. We know that it's uh, one thing the Jewish people have never been accused of by anti-Semites is being dumb. It's one thing we haven't been accused of. We're thinkers. Bar Hashem. We're not meant to be not thinkers. So Moshe Beinu is in a in a position where he's obligated to lead Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael is thinkers, and we're stubborn and. And we have opinions. And we have, but Maishu Rabbeinu was at a place where he was completely with Yosef HaTzadik. In that, in that age. No, there's no hard, this is the position Hashem gave me. And this is what I'm going to live up to. It's a position to live up to. As opposed to being a place. To, um, as opposed to being a place where, where um, it's like, uh, you know, you're singled out and unique. And that you have uh, specific powers. Keep going. Uh, keep going for one more. Okay. Let's keep going. I want to talk a little bit about the, a little bit about uh, the Yamsuf over here. It was a. Where is this? Claudius roll. To find this inside, Klal Yisrael came to the Yamsuf, and there's an interesting Gemara that brings a dispute. There's a Gemara that brings a dispute. Uh, what happened exactly at the Yamsuf, as far as who wanted to go in? Who wanted to go into the Yamsuf first? Where is this? Hey, cutie. <laughs> Here we go. Gemara and Sota. Thank you, Hashem. Gemara and Sota. Daf Lamed Vav at the end of Amaral. So 36a at the bottom. Says the Gemara. Tanya, we learned it in Bryson. Hayer Reb Meir. Kisha. Yeah, Rebbe taught us. Kisha Yisrael Aleyam. When Bnei Yisrael were standing at the cusp. Of the Yamsuf, so we started quarreling. We started arguing with each other. So we're at the Yamsuf, and we start arguing. Zaimer, one Jew or group of Jews says, "Ani I'm going. I'm going in first. We're going to be the ones. We're going to jump into the sea and be the religious leaders, and we're going to show everybody Amuna bitachin." Zaimer, Ani I'm no way. We get to go in first. So the tribe of Binyamin jumped in. The Yared Liamtchilim. And they got him first. Omar lo Rebbe Yehuda. So Rebbe Yehuda says, Lo chachayamaisa, not true. Ella za'imer enan yared l'sechel. But everybody didn't want to go in. They were scared of cats, so to speak. Yeah? I'm not going in first. You you go. You go. <laughs> you go. Right? V'za'imer enan yared l'sechel. Kofatz nachshom ben aminadav. Jumped in, okay. So I want to share 
a beautiful idea from Bianco Galinsky. Bianco Galinsky says, and this is basically, the Gemara in Erevin lets us know, whenever you have a dispute about Agadita, in Halacha this is not necessarily whole true, when you have a, like, more of a storyline in a Gemara and there's a dispute about what actually happened, so the Gemara in uh, Erevin tells us, Elu ve'elu, either way, you're supposed to take a message from either side. There's going to be an element of, that the Gemara wants us to learn from either side of the, uh, uh, you know, of the opinion. So he says like this, he quotes the Balitaisvis on our parsha Shemais Tesvav. Says that really they the Balitaisvis say that what happened was everybody's right. First Nachshon jumped in, and then Sheva Yamin, and then Sheva Yehuda, and then everybody else. So okay, the boys' opinion was they're on about the Shvatim, right? Which one's going to go first? And then ultimately Binyamin went in first, and then the other one says no Nachshon. Another person who went in first, he says you could be multiple firsts, right? You have the person who's first in line, and the next kid's quetching. I I want to be first. He says okay, you're first after me. <laughs> yeah? You can be first after me. And me for then you're the second first, you know? How, however you put it. So that's how that's how uh, uh, the the Bali Taisvis answer. Okay, but what's what's going on really deeper over here? What's happening over here? This is beautiful. Alright. Serbian Kalinsky asks, he says like this. He says, Yesh I want to read you, you in Hebrew, because in Hebrew it's much better than saying it in English. He says, we gotta understand. Ich how is it possible? You have the Shvatim fighting. They are quarreling. I'm going to go in first. I'm going first. The Buddha says, That was the Maisa. He says, I don't understand. Go. I get to go. So go. What are you doing? You're standing at the outside, you know, like two people like daring each other. No, I get to go in. You don't really want to go in first. It's like offering to pay the bill in a restaurant first when you don't really want to pay. Yeah, because you know the next person's going to say, no, I'm paying for you. Right? He says, I get to go in first. He's saying, just go. Ain't nobody stopping you. So what's this conversation of, I get to, no, you don't get to go. I, I just, you know, just go. Rabbi Yusuf Zilberstein, this on a side thing, Rabbi Yusuf Zilberstein brings down, he says, uh, and we spoke this out in Shul, I think two, three years ago. He speaks about Gershom um, Ben Aminadav. Gershom Ben Aminadav, um, they came to the Yamsov, and Gershom Ben Aminadav wanted to jump into the Yamsov. And as he's about to jump in, he's like, mm, I, I, <laughs> I mean, if I die, uh, my parents might be upset. <laughs> So let me go ask them permission. <laughs> so Gershon goes to his parents and he ca- talks about them. And he talks to them and like, yeah, all right, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. You could take the risk. So he comes back. He's like, he's about to jump in. He's like, uh, I, gotta t- I gotta talk to my sister about this. <laughs> I gotta go to my sister. She goes back to his sister. His sister's like, you know, it's a great idea. I'm sure they loved him, you know. So Gershon comes back to the Amzov and by that time, Nachshon had already jumped in. <laughs> that's, that's his joke. You know, Buzo Zilberstein says, you know, everybody, when you start saying the story, everyone's like, it's not Gershon Ben Aminadav, it's Nachshon Ben Aminadav. His point is that Gershon Ben Aminadav, there was somebody else who wanted to do it, but he didn't do it. So you, you, some people, like, they think, and they did, and then what about that? What are the other people, they, they go do it. So, so Rebunkel is saying, what is it? I get to go on first. Just go. Stop talking. Go. So he brings out a very important message that I personally take home. And he says... That, that's really what happened. It's really what happened. 
that Bnei Yisrael were arguing about who would go in first. He says, what does that mean? Like, deeply. What does that mean? If, I'm gonna, if I could go in first, but instead I'm standing here and talking about it. So one opinion is, they were saying, I go in first. Rabbi Huda says, you know, if that's what happened, ready? That was opinion number one. That's Rameir. Says Rabbi Huda, if they were saying, I get to go in first, as soon as you talk without acting, Rabbi Huda Omer, Shalai Ka Chaya Maisa, you're never going to do anything. You never, Loka, he wasn't saying that's not what happened. Loka Chaya Maisa. You're never going to have a Maisa Shahaya. Never going to have an, a, a, you talk too much. You're busy talking and telling everybody what your plans are. You're not going to go. Now, on a, we know, and this is something that we're into, and I hope people, uh, sometimes, I, I think until people knew us, they, uh, Sometimes people get a little, but like when we, you know, if, if my personal family, whenever we, we travel somewhere, I, we don't like talking about it. It's not a secret, but I've, I've really found, like this happens very often. When I talk about going somewhere, I, some, I, it's very often, the Rebbe just doesn't, it doesn't happen. It doesn't need to be anywhere specifically special. Like I was, it was uh, two years ago, we were supposed to go to like a convention for rabbis in Atlanta, for like a Shabbos. I happen to have been. Like, I've never been to one of these things before. I'm not like hooked up with like this whole network type of thing. I was like, God, oh, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be interesting. And like, you know, we're telling about it. Uh, flight's delayed and this and that. The flight takes off. Mechanical problems. We turn back and I'm back home for Shabbos. And I have to explain for the rest of Shabbos why I'm here. <laughs> why is the rabbi back? You know? You're going to be speaking. You're not going to be speaking. I'm like, ah! Like, I should have just called and I'm there, by the way. Someone else giving the drush. <laughs> You know, like, why do you got to, so like, in, in a sense, it's true, right? Bracha is found by things that are nasalim and ayin, things that are hidden from the eye. The more you bring things out in the open, you're allowing things to like seep in. This is a very true reality. It's the way the Rabbani Shailah made the world. And sometimes people are like, oh, but you should have told me you're going. It's, it's not a matter of like trying to keep a secret. It's just like, there's a balance. There's a balance that you need to have between like, you know, looking like a little snobby and being like, I just don't like talking about plans because... Just do it. It's, you don't have to talk. You don't have to talk about it. Just do it, right? So it's 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 more about the action that uh, that exists over here. Okay. So that's the that's the Baruch Eimer and That's what's taking place as we as we uh, get to the Amsa. All right, we're way over time. I'm going to hold it here. Uh, <laughs> class dismissed. It's, it's one of the parshas. You're not going to stop. We'll be here for five hours. All right. I get in Shabbos, everybody. <laughs>